you will note that James uh, describes himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the heart of a servant, the heart of a servant is someone who says, God, whatever it is that you want me to do, that's what I will do. The heart of a servant is not to argue with the person who is directing you. The heart of a servant is whatever your heartbeat is, whatever your desire is, whatever, God, you want me to do, that's exactly what I will do. God, if you want me to go and disinfect all the toys in the nursery, that's what I'll do. That's not my giftedness, but that's what I will do. Or, Lord, you want me to go and pick up trash around the uh, the facilities of our church, uh, God, that's not my gift in this, but that's what I'm going to do because that's what you've asked me to do. And so that was the heartbeat of, of James uh, and being the half-brother of Jesus and come, becomes a follower of Christ and he just begins to move and to act and to breathe in the direction that Jesus takes him. Now, servanthood Nothing challenges our servanthood to God more than in the area of finances, material possessions. Um, that's where James takes us in James chapter 5 and beginning in verse 1 through these first six verses. And I know what it's like whenever you preach on material possessions, finances. Oh, you're just wanting more money, pastor. We're going to take up an extra offering, which we might. Uh, or we... You know, you just, have a le- you, you just have a motive, an ulterior motive. No, no, we're just moving through the book of James. And so when we come to James chapter 5 and verse 1, and we read these opening words, and he says, now listen to those of you who are rich. Most of us at this point thought, you know what? Great, because it doesn't apply to me. I'm not rich. I'm not wealthy. I'm barely making ends meet. Therefore, this does not apply to me. And uh, so I thought I would run up and kiss my wife this morning, but she's not here. So I could say, yes, this doesn't, this, doesn't, this doesn't apply to me. The word rich is a very um, moving term. You know, when I grew up as a child, um, you know, my mom raised five kids, so we, we didn't have anything. And we grew up very poor, but the thing is, we didn't realize we were poor because everybody around us was in the same boat, right? So, so if someone were to say to me, man, you, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty rich. No, I'm not rich. Now, those people down the street that live in the big house, they're the wealthy people. So if someone were to say to you, no, you're a pretty wealthy person. No, no, no. Uh, the wealthy people in the Columbus area live in Bexley in Dublin. That's where all the wealthy people are. They're rich. I'm not rich. And we fail to put things in perspective. So I want us to think in terms of, because this really applies to all of us, is that in America, the median household income is $50,000 a year. That's that's dual incomes. That's the median income for the entire nation. Uh, If you make $50,000 a year, congratulations. You are among the top 98% wage earners in the world. If you make $37,000 a year, you are a top 4% in the world in earning power, in wages, in wealth. Now, 
I know that somebody said, well, but that doesn't count because, you know, in, in poverty worlds, you know, areas of Africa and other places where there's great poverty, I mean, uh, that's one thing to have $37,000 a year income, but f- for me to live in America on that income, that's, that's not a lot of money. But it is because it's really not about how much we have that God is really concerned with or even James is concerned with. He is interested in our attitude towards what we have and what we do with what we have. And to answer the question that I really want to talk about today, and that is why has God given us so much? Why has God blessed us with so much? So let me just put it in another little perspective. If you have bad cell phone coverage, if you can't decide where you're going to go on vacation, if your computer has crashed, if you have slow internet and you're complaining about that all the time, or you have car trouble, or your flight gets delayed, those are rich people problems. To even more narrowly define this, there are a lot of people a lot of children in our country who have very little. And so over the past uh, month and a half, we've been collecting for backpacks. And what you see on the back of that truck is our state convention, as I said, was this week. And um, churches in, a, in our state convention were collecting the backpacks to be taken to the Appalachian areas where children live in great poverty. And you'll notice on that truck there are um, like 408 backpacks um, there are over 700 churches in our, in our state convention, 408 backpacks. You gave 84 of those. So I say thank you. So the, the, the individual who directs this for the convention as a whole, the national convention, said that last year they collected just shy of 54,000 backpacks. And as a result of distributing those in the Appalachian areas, that over 1,700 kids gave their life to Christ. This isn't just about giving need, you know, someone who has a need. It's about giving them what they need materially, but also to give them the gospel. And he shared some stories, and I just want to share a couple of them really quick because I wanted us to get perspective on wealth and, and who's rich and who's not. Um, in one area they were distributing, this little boy opened up his backpack. He pulled out a package. He held it up, and he started running around the gym, and he started yelling, I've got new underwear. I got new underwear. I got new underwear. When was the last time you did that? coming out of a department store, I got new underwear. Or when was the last time you got that for Christmas and said, I got new underwear, I got new underwear. He started it, and then another kid took his out. He started, before long, they had like 45 kids running around praising the fact that they've got new underwear. Another young mother brought um, her daughter, who is a single mother. Her daughter was 12 years of age. Um, her daughter was not wearing a coat. She had a short sleeve shirt on. She did not own a coat, and it was winter time. And she sat down. She opened up her backpack, and she pulled out a pink and blue, which is her two favorite colors. Um, a, this is so cool how God works. A coat, a winter coat that fit her to the T. And in the bottom of that backpack... She had asked her mother about two weeks prior to that because Christmas was coming up. All she wanted for Christmas was a Barbie doll and a very specific Barbie doll. And she showed it to her mother in the store. And her mom says, we can't afford that. This little girl, 12 years old, had never celebrated a Christmas where she received something. But in the bottom of that backpack, she pulled out a Barbie doll was the exact Barbie doll she had shown her mother. 
That's cool. On another occasion, a 16-year-old girl opened up her backpack, immediately began crying. They thought something was wrong, so the workers ran over, hey, is everything okay? Is there something wrong? And she says, no, this is the first time I've ever gotten anything brand new. That's perspective. That's wealth. God has blessed us with so, so much. And the truth is we are all rich. And no matter how much you have, somebody has more. I get that. No matter how little you have, somebody has less. I get that. I understand that. The real issue is not about how much money we have, but what is our attitude towards what we own. Why has God given us so much? Which is why Jesus himself uh, talks so much about material things. He has, Out of the 38 parables that Jesus gave us, 16 of them had to do with material things possessions. One out of every 10 verses in the New Testament deals with money or material possessions. Only 500 verses are uh, attributed to prayer. Prayer is important, right? We know the importance of prayer. Only 500 verses deal with faith. We know that faith is important, but over 2,000 verses in the New Testament are dealing with material things, and here's why. It's because there is a relationship between our ability to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and have him to be Lord of our lives and how we handle what it is that God has placed into our possession. And one of the things I know about us is that sometimes our hearts get all muddied up because we are bombarded every single day of our lives with advertisement that says, you need more, you need bigger, you need shinier, you need faster, you need this, you need that, if you're ever going to find contentment and satisfaction and wholeness in life. And we're just bombarded 360 advertisements a day we are bombarded with through all forms of social media, all vying for our attention, all of it's dragging our heart And yet we're trying to live a life and learn how to deal with our possessions in a way that honors God. And that's really what James is dealing with in these verses that we're going to be looking at together. Now in Luke chapter 16, Jesus gave a parable, it's kind of a weird parable, about a guy who was about to get fired by his landowner. And uh, he kind of manipulated things so that he could get rehired after his firing. At the end of that, and it's really dealing with things, at the end of that, and this is on the top of your outline, Jesus Jesus draws a conclusion. He says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Satan, right? No, he says, you cannot serve God and money. In other words, when there is tension in your life, when there is a choice to be made between your stuff And what God wants you to do with regards to your stuff, who's going to win that argument? Who's who's going to be the, who are you going to bow down to in servanthood? Is it my stuff or is it what God wants me to do with my stuff? Now, those two things are not always at odds with one another. But if, um, you know, if, if, if the situation you're finding yourself in and you're saying, you know what, God's blessed me with so much and he's given me so many things, um, what does God teach about this? 2,000 verses that teaches us all about how to make money, how to save money, how to give money, what to do with our financial things. But sometimes, uh, if we're not careful, we, our hearts make a shift and we just so get caught up in so much of what I want and what I need and what I think I need and what 
I really think, think, think I need that we just get caught up in the momentum of, well, Lord, I will become a generous person. I will be a giving person. I will follow your teachings in Scripture as soon as my income reaches a certain level in my life. Because, uh, you know, Lord, um, I'm not rich. James is, James is talking to, to rich people. And the reason money so often ends up being God's chief competition is because we have a tendency to take things and attribute divine attributes to it. For example, we are all tempted at times in our lives to look at money as a source of security, right? If, you, if you've known what it means to live on a, on a little and you're, you're struggling to make ends meet, and you, you think to yourself, you know, if I could just ratchet up my income, then I wouldn't have any more worries, right? I, 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 would, ha- I would have it made because, you know, I, I make X number of dollars now. If I could just ratchet that up to here, uh, then, then I would feel more secure so that if something happens, there's a setback, there's something that breaks down, something happens, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm secure. If I lose my job or if the economy takes a nosedive, but if we're not careful, we can, allow, we can allow things, material possessions, we can allow money to become our God because we start putting our, our security in it rather than in the God who says to us, if you will put first my kingdom and, and you will follow my principles when it comes to money, Jesus says you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. Your father knows you have need of all of those things and he will supply every need that you have. Your security is in him. Now, I, I've known what it means to have a lot and little um, you know, when I got called in the ministry, I was making a very, very good income. And when God called me to go from that level to income, to uh, okay, so when I started in college, I started working for a butcher. When, when you work for a butcher, you don't make nothing. So my income went from here to here. And so there's st- it doesn't matter. My security issues here, it's down here. It's, it's everything in between. What, what am I really putting my hope and my security into. Because when the gods at work around you, when Satan comes against you, he's going to convince you you need to take care of yourself. But, but if you're not careful, um, we can put our, our security in the things that we have. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, my income goes way up. If I'm not careful, I don't need to pray to God for my daily bread anymore because I've got a, I've got a pantry full of of stuff, food, that can last me a long time. I got shelves in my basement that's full of food. And if I'm not careful, I can make a heart shift and put my security in those, those things. Here's what Solomon, the wealthiest and wisest man who ever lived, said this in Proverbs chapter 30. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? The second thing we do is we oftentimes look at money as a source of satisfaction in our lives. And we are bombarded again by all of these advertisements that say the same thing. If you're going to be satisfied, you've got to have this product, this vacation, this car, this house, this next decoration. And if we're not careful, we try to satisfy our appetite with the things around us. 
The third thing is that we look to money as our source of significance. A lot of people will equate their self-worth by their material worth. And so we all have a tendency to fight against these things, to make these things our God, that, that, we, that we look for things, material things, to bring security and satisfaction and significance into our life. It's a real battle that we have. And why this is no small choice that we have to make is because it has spiritual, financial, emotional, and relational connotations. So spiritually speaking, when Jesus now, you know, if, if I mismanage my money and I, and I put my heart in, in things for these eternal values that I hold, then if I mismanage my money and I'm not sold out to Jesus and what he wants me to do, then, then that's a spiritual issue. And, and emotionally, if, if I'm putting my hope and trust in money, then what happens when Jesus says things like, don't worry about your money, but we worry about it all the time, right? We, we think about it and we worry about it and we sweat over it and we wonder and we, what about even relationally? You know, the Bible's full of one another's, but I can tell you, I can assure you from experience that when you are, you are struggling financially, one another's goes out the window, right? Because all you're consumed with now is you. Where I am financially and what's happening in my life. Been there, done that. Probably most of you can stand up and testify, yeah, been there, done that. So what I want to do in the next few minutes is just look at some wealth warnings that James gives to us to help us put in proper perspective what it is that we possess, what it is that we have as income, so that we don't live a life that is filled with misery because having too little can bring misery. Having too much can bring a boatload of misery. Wealth warnings. We're used to warnings. Everything you purchase has a warning, right? For example, uh, here's one that says... Use of this device does not enable you to fly. That is on the back of a Superman costume. Well, duh. Or here's one. Um, pastry filling <laughs> may be hot when heated. That's on the back of a box of that nutritional protein-filled thing called Pop-Tarts. You got to try some. Do not operate vehicle when screen is in place. That's one of those sunscreens you put on your windshield in the summertime. So James would come to us and say, listen, there are some wealth warnings you need to heed. Because I don't want you, to, I don't want you living in misery. I don't want you live, living all tensed up, unable to be a servant to God in the area of your finances. So when God says move and give, when God says, you know, save, or I don't want you to save to the point where it becomes hoarding. And so James is going to mention this word hoarding. How do you know when you're saving as opposed to hoarding something? Because I want you to be free, I want you to be open, I want you to be ready to respond to the command of our king when it comes to the use of our material possessions. So that if God were to say to me, listen, I want you to give this thing away. I want you to give this car away. I want you to give this amount of money away. That there would be no hesitancy that when the master says it, there's not going to be a fight within me as to whether or not I'm going to respond in obedience to him. That's, this is where James is taking us. So here's wealth warning number one. Wealth warning is this. Wealth may cause you misery. 
Look in verse 1. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. Now it's like James has become an Old Testament prophet. I want you weeping and wailing. These words that are used here were used of Peter when he denied Christ three times. And and the Bible says that he just wept. He wept bitterly. And, And so James is saying, listen, here's a wealth warning is that your wealth, if you're not careful, can cause a great deal of misery in your life. How in the world? What? It's because, it's because we, we get caught up in this materialism trap. Um, we, don't, we don't understand and we have bought into the lie in the difference between a standard of living and the quality of your life. We have been convinced all of our lives that if we ratchet up our standard of living, what will follow is the quality of our lives. So if I can just keep ratcheting up, if I can you know, keep moving upward in mobility, then the quality of my life is going to follow behind. And so the more I have, the greater quality of life I will experience. That's what we have been taught all of our lives by the world's philosophy. But the Bible teaches us exactly the opposite, as you might well expect. And so advertisement, again, tells us every day two things, that if you just raise your standard of living, if you just drive better and dress better and vacation better, eat better, upgrade everything, bigger, shinier, that you're going to have a better quality of life. But most of you know by experience that that doesn't really equate. Because some of you, if you've been married like 30 years, and, and if I were to say to you 30 years ago, hey, um, you know, in 30 years, you're going to be making X number of dollars, and you're going to have this big of a house, you're going to have these many cars, you're going to have a closets full of, of uh, clothes, and you're going to have pantries full of food, and, and you're really going to be very financially secure, you would say to me, really? Really? Because, man, that, that means the quality of my life is going to be so so good. And yet there are many, many, many couples who reach that apex in their lives, but the quality of their marriages is miserable. They don't get along. They fight over money. They still, though they're under the same roof, they're living lives of singles. And divorces happen and all the other thing. And so we, we think that if I raise my standard of living, that the quality of my life is going to be raised equally. And that just doesn't happen. See, you raise your standard of living through debt. You raise your quality of life through discipline. And let's just face it, we love debt far more than discipline. So I want to... um, I I want to... um, I want to wow you with my art ability again today. Thank you. I know for some of you this might be a little bit hard to see, but um, I'm, I'm going to try to. So I've already pre-done things because I, it took me so long to, to draw this. Now, remember, this is 12 years, 12 years of public school art classes at work right here. All right, so here it is. See? Are you, are you blown away or what? Thank you. Here, here's, what, here's what I think James is trying to get us at and really what I, I want you to, 
to see is that, you know, James prior to this had been talking about planning and time and those kinds of issues. And you know as well as I do that time is limited, right? You only have so much time. And once you spend your time, uh, you can't get it back. You can't create more time. Uh, Money, on the other hand, is also limited, uh, but for us, um, you can get more money, and you get more money by what? Borrowing, right? So you you go into debt and you borrow. So I want you to look at this. This represents time, this graph, however many years that is. And this represents money. This represents your income. Now, I know that for most of you, your income level doesn't look like this, that on the chart it may go up and down and all around and maybe, you know, uh, but just for the sake of argument, uh, we're going to say this is your income level over several years, all right? So if you have been convinced, if you've been convinced that standard of living equals quality of life, then what happens is that I, I assume that as my income goes up, so should my standard of living in equal proportion. Ideally, uh, what the Bible would teach us is that you want to live your life, um, and this would be spending, this red line, that you would live your life with a margin, a financial margin between your income and what you spend. So if there is, if there is margin in here, there's room for error. So if something breaks down, it doesn't wig me out, right? If, if there was a loss of income for a while or there is a setback. And so this kind of, when you live with financial margin, you don't stress about your finances. You don't live in anxiety. You don't live worried about everything because you develop. So whatever this, this is for you, there is a percentage And what I know about you is that you live on the basis of a percentage of your income, right? Whatever that is for you. Here's the problem with we as Americans, is that we have been convinced that our quality of life equals our standard of living. So what do we do is that we we spend everything that we make. And so our spending and our income is the same. When you're spending and your income is the same and there's no financial margin, that means that, yes, you are worried about finances. You are anxious about your finances because one little hiccup can really be a huge setback. But you've been convinced that, you know what, if I raise my standard of income, my standard of living is going to raise the quality of my life. And so there's no financial margin in your life. And therefore, um, wow, it, it... this, this represents, right now, statistically, 70% of all Americans. Now, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if God comes along and says, hey, Greg, um, I want you to give X number of dollars towards something, or I want, you to, I want you to even give to me, because usually when people get in this, what's the first thing they cut? They cut their giving to God. Well, I can't afford to give to God because, you know, my income and my spending is the same. And, and I understand that everybody's circumstances are different, right? So, I, again, I was raised by a single mother. I get that there's not a lot of margin in between, if any, uh, because of the circumstances. But here's what I want you to see. It does not matter how much money you make. If you live on $55,000 a year or $25,000 a year, it doesn't matter. If there's no financial margin in your life, you're going to be filled with worry and anxiety, and you're going to be unable to follow the teachings of Jesus in your life when it comes to giving, when it comes to being generous, because you, you, 
It now has to become about you. So it doesn't matter. So what if a person makes $250,000 a year? It doesn't matter. If they spend $250,000 a year, there's still no financial margin. Or, Or you can do one of two things. You either have to raise your income or you raise your debt ceiling. Welcome to the government of the United States of America. You don't have that luxury. Right, So when you raise the debt ceiling, so now you're spending more than your income, over time this catches up. And so then you, you are miserable. Just like James says, you're miserable. You're thinking, oh, man, why did I buy that car? Why did I purchase such a big house? Or why did I do this? Or why did I do Because I never thought about what it is that I'm going to use as a margin. So there's three things I know is that you are living on a percentage of your income, whatever that is, and if you don't decide what it is, somebody will decide it for you. They'll decide it for you at the mall, at the car dealership, the real estate agent. They'll all be glad to help you figure out what this percentage is going to be for you. But it's probably not what you want it to be. And, I, and the second thing I know is people in this category think, if I just had a little bit more, it would be okay. It would be different. It won't be. Because we got a problem here, a situation we're not dealing with. So if I ratchet my income, what do we do? We just ratchet up our lifestyle. Because we are convinced that a bigger, bigger standard of living means more quality of life, right? And so, um, and you probably felt this way. When you made less money, it doesn't matter what the income level is. That's why James says, here's a wealth warning. Wealth can cause you misery. If you do not create margin in your life, you cannot be generous. It's, it's very difficult. And when your standard of living matches or exceeds your income, watch this. Here's what Jesus says. When your standard of living matches your income, you become a slave to the lender. And so now you're a slave to the banks, you're a slave to the credit card companies, and you don't like it because they send you nasty letters and they make phone calls to you and why you're not paying your fair share. This is not why they're in business. Financial things, bills, mortgages, leases, listen, uh... This is when people fantasize that someday, someday, I'm going to get out from under this because I'm going to win the lottery. Someday, someday there's out there, I know, there's out there, there is some relative of mine who's wealthy, I did not ever meet or never knew it. They're going to die and leave me this grand inheritance that's going to get me out of this fix. So the problem is what got us into this fix is because... We are convinced that a higher standard of living leads to a greater quality of life. You've got, to, you've got to dismantle that mindset. It doesn't matter what your income level is. It doesn't mean anything concerning your quality of life. Listen, my wife and I had a quality of life that we loved when we were just like college students. And we're living on basically nothing. Because we had such great friends and we, you know, we were involved in a church and God was doing some amazing things in our lives and in the church. And, and so you know, we, did, we didn't have much of anything, but it didn't matter. We had a quality of life even though our standard of living was really low. 
Just raising that standard of living does not guarantee that you're going to have a higher quality of life. So that's a wealth warning. Here's wealth warning number two is that um, wealth may be used against you. He goes on to say, your wealth has rotted, your moths have eaten your clothes, and gold and silver has corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you, and it will eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. So James uses grain and garments and gold. That was the measure of wealth in his day and time. And he says, man, you put your hope in all these things of wealth, and he's saying, well, look at it. I mean, the garments, they're just like falling apart. They're disintegrating. How many of us have so many clothes? I got so many clothes. I have them in tubs that get shoved under my, in my basement because, you know, we, we exchange clothes outright for winter and summer and, and everything in between. We as Americans have more clothes than we don't do it. And here's, I don't know about you, but basically I wear about, you know, like five different sets of clothing and I've got like 20 in my or more in my closet. My wife said to me one day, if you bring something in new, you've got to get rid of something that's in your closet. I just can't do it. It's like my clothes, okay? I just like, I, I have an Ohio State sweatshirt that looks like moths, really, literally, just like ate all through it. But my mother gave it to me and I just can't depart with it. <laughs> We don't have grain elevators, but we have all kinds of things. And this word corrosion means that one day we're going we're gonna to stand before God. And this wealth that we are so proud of, this wealth that we have so accumulated, this wealth that we have so hoarded for ourselves, God's going to say, listen, it, isn't a, it is not a matter of how much you have made. It's not a matter of how big your house is, how many cars you have, or how many boats you make. It is not a matter of the... Listen, there are a lot of people in the Bible who are extremely wealthy. There are many people in our day and time who are extremely wealthy who leverage their wealth for the kingdom of God. That's the question. How am I leveraging what God has so blessed me with for the purpose of the kingdom of God? And the only way I watch, the only way I loosen that up is to begin to live with some financial margin in my life. Because otherwise, I can become very stingy. Very stingy. And so can you. So how do you know when you're, whether you're hoarding or you're legitimately saving? You know, the Bible instructs us, remember, about finances, how to save money, um, Reasons why to save, to invest in God's work, to provide for the needs of others, to provide for yourself, to provide for your family, to provide for, you know, a rainy day. I mean, you're not to spend everything. It's not that God wants us to, like, unload everything and us live in abject poverty. But we just want to be sensitive, though, to what God says and to the Holy Spirit. So what does God say? God says to us, listen, I've ble- I'm the owner of everything. I've given you everything. I'm asking you to give me back 10% of everything I've given you. I'm asking you right out of the gates to so trust me and to, and to allow me to be Lord of your life. I've, I've given you everything. I'm the owner of all things. Everything you have, God has given to me. And God says, great, out of the gate, I want you to give me 10%. I want you to give me the first fruit of your, your, your income. Do you know what the average Christian gives today? 2.4%. Well, and so why are we doing that? Because we have no financial margin, and this is where 70% of us live. And so I've, my, my, in my mind, I'm like, but I, I can't afford to give God anything. 
If you want God in the middle of the equation of your finances, you got to put him there. It doesn't matter what my income level is. God can provide. Because now it's an issue of his glory. And if it's an issue of his glory, he says, I will provide for you. Now, Now hear me, church. This is not the ceiling. That's the ground floor. God's going to challenge you to go beyond that in many different ways. Now, as I shared with our men in my class this morning, my wife and I made that decision a long time ago. And this, this has wavered income to, but we have always tried to leave enough financial margin in there so that we can go beyond that and we can support people, we can support ministries that we really believe in. And I can assure you, we've never missed a meal. I've never been, I never had to come to church with no clothes on. Aren't you glad of that? Amen. Amen. You don't even want to go there. That is scar your retinas forever. God has always been faithful to provide for us. Um, but if you're not careful, God can use your wealth against you. Because if I become a hoarder, and it's about me, and it's about my needs, and only my, you know what God says? He says, listen, I can send the moths, I can send the locusts, I can send all kinds of things that will make sure that that you're going to have some difficulty because you have made your stuff your God, and I'm jealous. And so I'm going to take some of it back. And so, well, that's harsh. No. God just doesn't want your heart there. He wants your heart in tune with him. Here's number three, warning, don't misuse people to gain wealth. He went on to talk about how those who were, in verse four, look at the wages you failed to pay to the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. In other words, people were working for landowners who were refusing to pay them their wage. Now, in, in James's day and time, if you were paid a wage, you were paid daily because that's how you put all your food on your table every day. And so if you were not being paid, then that means there was nothing that was being bought that was put on your table to provide for your family. This was no small matter because these are the same landowners that James says earlier who are taking you to court and they're ripping you off. They're taking you to court. In fact, they had the courts in the palm of their hand and they had no unions to go to. They had nobody to go on the, no lawyers for on their behalf, no one to go to the negotiating table for them. And so James says, listen, you have more than you need and you're not being a generous person. In fact, you are misusing people in order to gain greater amounts of wealth. And when we, when we, we may not be a landowner, we may not be an employer, but if I'm convinced in my heart that my standard of living must go up so that my quality of life will go up, if that is what's the driving force in order to be secure and satisfied and significant in the world I live in, then I will in ways misuse and abuse people in order to gain financially. You say, well, how does that happen? (laughs) Well, failure to repay loans. I borrow the money, I owe the money, but I refuse to give it. So now a credit card company is after me. Do you know how many families have disintegrated? How many families have dispersed over fighting 
over inheritances. I want more than my fair share. Cheating on taxes, dishonesty in the workplace, there's a lot of ways that we can try to gain wealth but because we've put our security and our significance and satisfaction there. Here's the last one. Wealth may cause a false sense of security. He went on to say, man, the cries of the harvesters, he says in verse 5, you've lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves on the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who, are, who, were, who were not opposing you. And so he says, then, and the celebration, you fatten the calf. Why? So that everybody can participate. Everybody can eat. Everybody has something to, to feast upon. And G, James says, you guys are just fattening yourself. It's not about anybody else but you. You just keep hoarding and hoarding. You know, Jesus gave parables about this. I've got a, a guy who's a landowner just kept building bigger and bigger, more and more barns, hoarding more and more stuff. He wasn't sharing it with anyone. He says, that to be condemned is a legal term. It means you've perverted the legal system for your favor. And you've murdered. I mean, they're enriching themselves on the backs of others. If I'm not providing food, then guess what? You know, it might be that my children are starving to death, or it might be that you murder somebody's reputation through slander, or you kill a person whose incentive, who, because of the constant agitation. The whole point is this, is that common faith, common faith that is built upon the theory that um, better standard of life leads to greater quality of life, if that's the drive of my heart, then that, that mindset will be in, in war with, with God who says just the exact opposite, that quality of life is not about ratcheting up my lifestyle. Quality of life comes through allowing God to direct my heart when it comes to things because uncommon faith says it's not just all about me. Uncommon faith says it is about the kingdom of God. So whatever God wants to do through us as citizens of his kingdom, he's going to leverage the stuff that we have. And the reason why God has given you more than you need is not so that you can just fatten your bank accounts. It's not so that you can just leave somebody all of your money. It's not because, you know, you're going to find peace in all of that. It's not about just increasing your lifestyle. It's not just about retiring early. James says, listen, if you want to talk about real true religion, we are taking care of the orphans. We are taking care of the widows. In other words, the reason why God has blessed us with so much is because there are so many people who have such great needs. And one of the needs they have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the avenues that we have into their lives and into their hearts is by first meeting a physical need. One of the things that desires my heart, and I'm going to close with this, for our church is not to be members. See, membership's about what I want and what I desire. Is the music to my liking? Is it not to my liking? Is, you know, do you have the programs that I want for my kids or you don't have programs? See, membership is, is like, this, this is what causes everybody to move around to different churches a lot of times because they've got the better program, the biggest thing. And I, I want us to look at ourselves as missionaries because that's what God calls us and one of the ways that we move about as missionaries is that we become generous generous with our stuff and we as servants 
As servant missionaries, we keep our ears in tune with what the Spirit of God says. And if the Spirit says to you, hey, I want you to help this person. Hey, I want you to give to this person. Hey, I want you to unload this. Hey, I want you to do... If you've built financial margin, it's a whole lot easier to say yes to God than if I'm I'm living up here. Would, Would you agree with that? So here's what Jesus said. This is on your outline. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Now, it would seem logical he would say that our treasure will follow our hearts. That, that is, uh, what we, we will spend our money on the things that we love. He says the exact opposite. He says where we put our money, where we invest our money, that's what we grow to love. So make sure you put it, invest it in the right place. And what is most valuable, which is... People. People. I want is better than I owe. I want that bigger car. I want to eat at the best restaurants. I want to take that vacation. Is a whole lot better than I owe for that car. I owe for those shoes. I owe for that... Let's leverage God's resources for kingdom purposes. So here's the bottom line this morning. and I think what Jesus was driving at in Matthew 6. Until God is in charge of how you view and handle money, you are unlikely to consider him in charge of anything else. The reason why Jesus talks so much about money is because he considered it the spiritual barometer of what's really going on inside of your heart. And where Jesus really stands as your Lord and as your Savior. In the kingdom, when God first created this earth, everything gave. The sun gave, the trees gave, the animals gave, humanity gave. But then came a serpent into the midst of God's creation with a new philosophy. And the new philosophy was get. You need to get. You need to get. You need to get. And anytime you move outside of God's design, the Bible calls that sin that leads to brokenness. How much brokenness is there in our society, in our world, in our lives because we moved outside of the design of God when it comes to our stuff? The answer to our brokenness is always the same. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only God can fix our heart that is the source of the problem we're having that's creating the worry and the fear and the anxiety and the difficulty in being a servant to our master when it comes to our stuff. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we... uh, We are all challenged when it comes to our things that we love. And God, we know that you have given us things for our pleasure, that you have blessed us and you desire to bless us. You desire to increase so that what you increase us with might flow through us into the hearts and the lives of those around us. So, Lord, I pray for each person here this morning as we struggle, as we grapple with this concept 
of these wealth warnings that James has given to us so that we can be faithful and obedient missionaries of yours into this world in which you have placed us. And Father, I pray that we would see ourselves just as that, as missionaries where we work, where you have put us in a neighborhood, where we go to school, wherever it is that we are. We are the missionary. We are the representative of your kingdom. And God, we want to be known as the most generous people alive. And may, Father, you use our generosity to unstop the ears, to remove the blinders of those who are in darkness, who cannot hear the voice of the Spirit. May you use our generosity to at least intrigue people to open up to the possibility that there is a God who loves them. There is a God who came and died for them. And I pray that for every person here this morning who have no relationship with Jesus Christ personally that today would be the day they give their heart and their life to him. They would surrender it over to him to be Savior and Lord of their life as they make that decision in their heart to accept your son Jesus who lived, who died, who was buried, and who was resurrected from the grave to be their Savior and Lord. May it be so, Father, through the power of your Spirit. And I challenge our church, Father, that as we look ahead to what it is you have for us to accomplish. God, we know that resources are needed in order for that to happen. And Lord, we know that you can do anything, but you have called us to obedience, to be servants, to be ready to move when you challenge us to move. And I pray that for us, that God, we would let nothing hold us back from what it is you desire to do in and through us. In Christ's name, amen. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. Then to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's direct sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Now I'd rather have Jesus than man's applause. I'd rather be 
faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus fame. I'd rather Amen. Thank you. Hey, uh, if I've not met you, I would love to meet you after the service. I'll be here at the front. I have the gift of hanging out. That's what I do. Also, next Sunday, uh, immediate following service, we have a pastor's luncheon, and I'd love to invite you to be a guest to that. You can put that on your connection card, and uh, we will provide lunch for you and just spend a little time together and share about myself, about our church. And give you the opportunity to share a little about yourself and, and answer any questions you might have. I'm so glad that you've been here today worshiping with us. Have a tremendous, tremendous week. God bless you. Give somebody a handshake, a hug on your way out this morning. And we'll see you back next Sunday.